Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. First Peter chapter five, beginning in verse one. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his eternal glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Verse five, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around, roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names. Today, we posture our heart with a place of expectation. We are leaning in and expecting to what your spirit is gonna do in our hearts and lives. I pray you would make ready our hearts to receive your word. May it illuminate right before our eyes, convict us, mold us, and shape us more and more into your likeness. Lord, today we also pray for the nation of Israel right now that is undergoing violence at levels we can only imagine. Right now we pray for your mercy, we pray for your hand of protection. May no weapon formed against them prosper. Your word says that you bless those who bless Israel and you curse those who curse them. I pray, Lord, that your favor would be upon them and that this war would come to an abrupt cease. It is in Jesus' mighty name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Today we're continuing our series called Church in the Wild. It's a chapter by chapter study of the books of first and second Peter. Today we're in the fifth chapter, as you might know, and we're gonna work our way verse by verse through it. But to get everybody caught up in case this is your first time, the book of first Peter is written by Peter, the disciple who walked with the Lord Jesus for three years and saw every aspect of his life and ministry. Peter saw the blind eyes open, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. Peter watched Jesus be betrayed into the hands of the high priest Caiaphas and ultimately die a criminal's death 
on the cross, only to be resurrected on the third day. That Peter is who writes this message. And he's writing to believers that are scattered, both Jew and Gentile through Asia Minor. He is writing to them with an understanding that they are beginning to face persecution and violence for their faith. And he writes with the expectation that that suffering is only about to escalate. We have the benefit of history as we look back and we can see very clearly that the readers, the recipients of this letter, in fact, did experience unspeakable violence at the hand of the Roman emperor Nero, who was demon-possessed and set out to extinguish Christianity from not only the Roman Empire, but from the face of the earth, where he mercilessly martyred Christians in the Colosseums by the thousands and tens of thousands. These readers, this is what was spoken to them. And instead of Peter trying to console them or comfort them, he instead implores them to stand their ground, to continue to be a light in the midst of darkness. And he compels them to live a holy life in a hostile world. I'm not sure if you're paying attention to the climate of the world in which you live, but the words from this book transcend time and history and speak perfectly into our life today. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it is growing increasingly more unpopular to be a Christian in America. We are surrounded and enveloped by darkness and in confusion. But I believe these principles still apply today that we must stand firm. We must be a light in the darkness and continue to live a holy life in a hostile world. And if the world persecutes us or rejects us for our faith, we have counted the cost and we're ready to stand because I'd rather live for Jesus than give my life to this world. Can I get a witness of somebody who's with me today? He's worth it. Jesus warned you that the world hated him. And if you live like him, this world is going to hate you too. So count the cost. And the sooner you're okay with that, the closer to being a true disciple of him, you'll actually become. We're going to work our way down the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at the first five verses. Verses one through five are instructions on church leadership. And then he pivots to begin speaking to the church as a whole in terms of their conduct and their disposition towards spiritual leadership. The first thing I wanna show you here is that Peter could have used any title in the world he wanted, but instead he says, I too am a fellow elder in the church of Jesus Christ. The Catholics call Peter the first pope. He could have said, hey, I'm pope. Hey, I'm bishop. Hey, I'm, you know, apostle. He could have called himself anything and any title, and he would have been entitled to do so. But instead, he humbles himself, and he says, I, like you, am a leader, a shepherd, a pastor and elder of the church of Jesus Christ. That's not because he's diminishing the role of an elder, but he's showing you how important it is to be a servant leader pastor in the local church of Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful that he walks in humility and grace? And I think it's, as we look, yeah, I'm well, the one person clapping, I'm with you. And um, don't worry, it's been like that all morning, I'm fine. Um, and when you clap here at Vision Church, you're not clapping for me. Like I don't deserve your applause and I didn't write the Bible, but the word does deserve a response from the earth when our spirit bears witness to the truth. Come on, somebody. 
That's a good place to rejoice. But lesson 101 in terms of spiritual leadership and ministering to others that God has entrusted into your care, Peter does not talk down to them. Like, you poor children, you need to get up on my level. One day you'll be holy like me. He does none of that nonsense. In fact, he puts himself in a position of humility where he can relate to his audience. He said, I too am just like you. I'm, a, I'm called to lead the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you become relatable as a leader and as a shepherd, you are so much easier to follow and to receive from. So let's get off of our spiritual high horse. Let's humble ourselves today. And may we never forget just how lost we were. And may we never forget just how much Jesus has done to redeem our soul. All right. So tell your neighbors, say, don't forget where you came from. People who lead with their title always make me a little bit cautious, right? Hi, I'm Bishop Tyson. I'm the third Pope of the Cardinal of the, okay, I'm prophetess. What, okay, just homie, just calm down. You know? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, you know why I'm leery of people who lead with their title? Because it reeks of insecurity. I'll know who you really are by the way you conduct yourself. By the way, you treat people that are the least of these. I'll know who you are by the fruit that exudes from your life. Your title doesn't impress me. The conduct of your life should. By the way, for too long in the church, we've esteemed our value with our title or our positional authority in the church. Well, let me just take that and let's drop kick it to the right. And let's all remember that our value is not in our title our value is not in our degree. Our value is not in the initials after our name. Our value was settled on the cross of Calvary when the Son of God took on my sin and bled for my redemption. The cross declares my worth. The cross gave me the greatest title heaven and earth could ever proclaim. I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. That's the greatest title I'll ever have. When you believe that, the insecurities begin to diminish and you'll be content and confident as a leader. Our value comes from Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And if you ever feel insecure or you ever wonder, are you loved or are you valued by God? Just think back to the cross and realize that he loved you that much. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy? Spending eternity with you was his joy. That's how valuable you are to an almighty God. Back to the text. When it says elders of the church, it's not talking about old people. <laughs> Elder has nothing to do with your age. And it has everything to do with your spiritual maturity and wisdom. So when Peter addresses the elders at the church of Asia Minor, he is talking about church leaders, all right? Pastors, elders, overseers, Connect group leaders, small group. I mean, he's talking about leadership in the church, okay? So elder has nothing to do with your age, has to do with your wisdom and the calling that is on your life. I've known some people that have been in church for a long time, but they still act like babies. Well, I've been in the church for 30 years. Yeah, but you still complain about the color of the carpet. And somebody took my seat. No, I'm preaching now. I'm talking to you. 
See, you don't have 30 years experience. You got one year experience 30 times because you never changed. You never developed. You never took risks. Good morning. We should respect our elders. We should. But I want you to understand that spiritual leadership doesn't have anything to do with how old you are. It has to do with what the Lord has done in you and who he has called you to be. First Timothy says, let no man despise your youth, but be an example to all believers. All right. And so the word elder is synonymous with the word pastor. Elder and pastor virtually mean the same thing, but elder and pastor have a greater title. And that really is shepherd. Tell your neighbor, it means shepherd. The church needs more shepherds. All right, that's what we need. Now, I'm gonna take a moment really quickly and I'm gonna run down five characteristics of a good shepherd. I'm just gonna touch on these really quickly. So if you're taking notes, would encourage you to do so. You'll look smarter. I'll feel better about it. It's a win-win, okay? Number one, elders, good shepherds, they watch for predators and defend the flock. Good shepherds defend the flock. Now, this does not mean that Elders need to be on the safety team or like out there with Officer Chris. What it means is, is that elders and spiritual leaders should be on guard for heretical teaching and bad doctrine. They should be on high alert for anything that would lead people away from the true and precious gospel of Jesus Christ. And may I also remind you that the majority of the New Testament epistles, the New Testament letters, are a warning to the church that false prophets will come. And in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. There will be a great deception that even catches up many of the church themselves. It is imperative that we have good leaders that are biblically sound. Protecting the flock is not about the pastor's opinion. It's about the word of the living God. Your opinion is here. His word is way up here. Be careful of any church or any pastor that has a low view of scripture, yet claim to have an accurate view of Jesus. It's incongruent. You cannot have a low view of the Bible and an accurate view of Jesus. Jesus said the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, it all testifies of me. He preached the Old Testament as though it was the authoritative word of God. He made no apologies about it. The scripture is how we protect the sheep and the flock from heretical teaching and wolves in sheep's clothing. If you have your Bible, look with me to Acts 20, verse 30. If you're slow flipping, just look at the screen. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Acts 20, he warns you of a powerful principle in church. I pray you receive this. He's warning us that the greatest threat to the church is not the world. The greatest threat to the church comes from within. You see, Satan's plan is not to just bulldoze all the churches and level them. No, 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 no. His plan is far more wicked and insidious than that. His plan is to infiltrate the church. 
and to sow 90% truth with 10% deception. He wants to raise up and supplant false doctrine within the church. That's why we must rely on the scripture. The Bible says that the word of God is God-breathed, inspired start to finish for correction, rebuke, and the edification of the saints. The word is our guide. It truly is. Satan wants to infiltrate the church from within. So what does a false teacher or a false prophet look like? Well, false teachers look like true teachers. False churches look like true churches. It's not so obvious that you can just be like, yep, that's one and that's not. No, no, you have to know a person by the fruit that they bear. What's the fruit? Galatians 5.22 tells us what the fruit of the spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. The fruit of their ministry is souls are being won, disciples are being made, and they're bearing good fruit in the earth, sharing their faith with peace, love, joy, and kindness. These fruits cannot be faked. They exist through a relationship with the Father. All right? So the good elders, good pastors, good shepherds, they are protecting the flock from false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing. One more thing I wanna just illustrate is even Satan presents himself as an angel of light, okay? So again, evil teachers and bad teachers, they look like good ones. So the way you know them is by their fruit and the word that they preach. If they minimize Jesus or they minimize the message, run for the hills, okay? And by the way, that's happening all over your city. And bad leadership and wolves are not just abusive or manipulative. Those are more easy to detect. In fact, you know what one of the great examples of false teachers in our lifetime is? Preachers that preach a gospel minus repentance. Preachers that say you can come to Jesus and stay just how you are. Preachers who say God's okay with your sin. That's who you are. Just embrace it. The woke, tolerant ideology is deception. It is deception. Listen, I love you enough to tell you this. We love every person, every man, woman, transgender, LGBT. We love you and you are welcome in this church. You're welcome. We love you. We want you to be here. We're not your enemy. But the truth is, Jesus will accept you just the way you are. But he loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. The gospel transforms. In Christ, former things pass away and all things become new. I know you think this is hate speech, but it's the most loving thing I could tell you. In any other facet of life, think of this. Would we say to an adulterer, hey, you know what? I know you're cheating on your wife, but you know what? That's natural to you. And you just go ahead and you do you. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a, you know, Jesus loves you. It's all good. Would we say that in any other manner of life? Would we say to a thief, hey, you know what? I know you like stealing. So, you know, you just, we're gonna celebrate you stealing some stuff. You know what I mean? Like, the Lord loves you. You, you go ahead and take it on the way out. You know, the Lord loves you. Like, no, no, why? Listen, no, in all seriousness, because the gospel changes. The gospel transforms. Jesus changes lives. And, and if you have a problem with today's sermon, well, you can take it up with the master because I didn't write the Bible. What other gospel do you want me to preach? What other message do you want me to teach? This is the word of the living God. And, and I, listen, and listen, I know everybody's scared and you're tense even right now, but listen, 
People say that this is hate speech. No, it's not. Just because we disagree doesn't mean I hate you. Um, I'm married and my wife and I, we disagree quite a bit, but I'm pretty sure she still loves me. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, she, no, just because we don't agree doesn't mean I hate her or she hates me. No, we love each other. Stop with that, that argument of if you don't agree with me, you, you hate me. That's, that's nonsense. No, we love you. We truly do. So uh, good morning. If you're looking for a sugar-coated, watered-down sermon, good morning. <clears throat> Can I tell you why this is important? Because Jesus came to Nicodemus in the cover of darkness, and he said, how will I see the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, unless you be born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, you, you keep on doing you, you keep living your best life. No, no, he said there has to be a dying to the past so that you can come alive in the future. There has to be a transformation. Listen, and hey, we're all sinners, myself included, all in need of the blood of Jesus, all in need of his mercy and grace. We all need Jesus. Every man, woman, and child alike, no matter how you sin, we all need Jesus and must be born again. So good pastors and good elders, good leaders, they watch out and they defend the flock according to the word of God. They also guide the flock. And, and the word says, you care for the flock that have been entrusted into your care. In other words, the sheep aren't yours. The people you lead, they don't belong to you. We are under shepherds of the great shepherd. This is the church Jesus died for. And these people are not my people. They're his. This church is not his, my church. It's his church. It belongs to him. We're under shepherds. A third thing that an elder and a shepherd does is they heal the wounded. There must be a genuine love and compassion for the people that we serve and minister to. We can do all the right things, but if it's not motivated by love, it's all empty. Scripture says you could give all of your possessions to the poor, but if you didn't love them, it was all for nothing. You could die as a martyr, but if it wasn't motivated by a genuine love, then you did it for nothing. We must love God's people. We must minister to them. And by the way, if you're looking for just a super high-level crash course on how to minister, here it is, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate ministry and we think it's all these mental gymnastics. I have to have all my apologetics. I have to have all my theology. Hey, just calm down. It tells you right here, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. In other words, actually love them and be invested in their life. And you speak God's word on time and in season into their situation. You don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to be a therapist. You gotta love those people, mourn with them, rejoice with them, and speak God's word in season on time. That's how you minister in the kingdom of God. Half of a golf clap, but y'all are right. <laughs> Fourth way that a good shepherd and a great elder leads is they are willing to correct the sheep. They're willing to correct the sheep. You say, well, if I correct them, they won't love me. If I correct them, they'll unfollow me. Okay, so what? I mean, I just offended everybody in the room multiple times already. But it's because I love you. Listen, if I love me, I'll just water it down. I'll sugarcoat, I'll tell you you're awesome. I'll tell you, you're, you're doing better than you think you are. You're great. 
I'll never call you to sin or repent. I'll never call that out. But if I love you, I'll warn you. And the truth may not be the most pleasant thing to hear, but it's the only thing that has the power to set you free. Number five, good shepherds, they pursue lost sheep. They care about the one and they'll leave the 99 in pursuit of that one. Those are characteristics of a good leader, a good elder, a good pastor. And by the way, while I'm here, the church of Jesus Christ, we need more shepherds and less CEOs. The church has sadly become a business. Well, this is not a business. It is the bride of Christ. This is not a place for you to expand your platform. This is the church Jesus died for. It's his bride. We love her. We serve her with humility and honesty. Ministry is not a career. It's a calling. I'm real scared of anybody who tells me that ministry is my career. What's your benefit plan? What's the 4 okay one? Okay, just the, the, the exit is that way. This is not my career, it's my calling. It's a dangerous thing when you call yourself to the ministry. Now, I want you to hear me real clear. Every born-again Christian, we are called to participate in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are. Whether you're a mechanic, a teacher, whatever you are, we are all called into his ministry to share the gospel, to win souls wherever we are. I'm talking, though, today in 1 Peter 5, about church leadership. I'm talking about being an elder in the church, a leader in the church, a pastor of the church. You better be called by God if that's gonna be the, the place that you stand and do your work. It's not about us, it's about him. Jesus warned in John 10, there's a difference between a true shepherd and a hired hand. A hired hand is just there for what they can get. But when the trouble comes, see ya, they out. But a real shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. There's a big difference. All right. First Peter five goes on to warn, th give three warnings to elders, leaders, shepherds, and pastors. Number one, it warns us, do not serve under compulsion. In other words, do not serve the Lord out of obligation. If you're just here leading the connect group, leading the ministry, leading a volunteer team, because it's my obligation, then you've completely missed it. There's no greater privilege on planet earth than to do the Lord's work in the Lord's house for the Lord's people. It's a privilege, not an obligation, all right? Number two, the second warning is, do not be greedy. Tell your neighbors, say you can't be greedy. How many of you, you definitely don't want a pastor that's greedy? Nobody's amening, but I hope you agree with that. First Timothy 6.10 for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. For so long, that verse has been misquoted and we've said that the love of money or that we've said money is the root of all evil. False, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money's an inanimate object. Money doesn't change you. It just reveals who you really are. And there's nothing wrong with having money, but there's something wrong when money has you. Oh, I'm, I'm talking to you now. See, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, 
but there's something wrong when nice things have you. And there's a big difference, all right? Now, we like talking about the pastors not liking money, but now let me talk to you about your money. Tell your neighbor, he's coming for you. And by the way, just calm down. If you... If you <laughs> If you've, been to if you've been to Vision Church for like literally more than one service, you probably never, ever heard me talk about money. And shame on me because I need to talk about it more because Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. You know why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's the word of the Lord. And if you're getting nervous, we already took the offering. Okay, it was already in the video. We're already, that ship has sailed, okay? So I'm just pure hands and a clean heart now, okay? Matthew 6, 21 literally says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder, where's your treasure? Like, if we could just see your bank statement, what would it tell us about your heart? Because see, your money shows us where your heart really is. It's easy to say, oh, I love Jesus. And it feels good on Sunday. But what does your money really say about where your heart is? If I'm being honest, if you were to look at my bank statement, it would tell you that my heart is with Chick-fil-A, okay? So somebody pray for me. I'm convicted right now, okay? <laughs> no, for real, I'm a foodie. I have a problem. So anyway, just pray for me. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, like, what does your money say about you? At Vision Church, when we create the annual budget, we want our money to tell the story of what our mission is. We want our money to be about winning souls and making disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So is your money telling your mission? And like, I don't want you to get super nervous about this, but in the New Testament, we are called to be generous. Part of being a disciple is trusting God with your money. The wallet is the last part of a person to get converted. It's true, man. We will sing in the choir. We will park cars, man. We'll even, we'll, we'll show up. We'll show up in the middle of the week. We ain't giving. And if this sermon is convicting to God, be the glory. You know what I mean? Like, but in all seriousness, listen, you know what the new Testament tells you? The new Testament does not put you under the obligation to tithe 10% of everything meticulously. You're like, I like this church better and better. The New Testament does not put you under a law of obligation. It gives you an opportunity to be generous in the participation of the New Testament church. The New Testament says that each of you, not half of you, each of you should pray in your heart and decide how much to give and then give it joyfully. Not under obligation, not under compulsion, not under pressure, but to do so generously. And by the way, if you feel like, oh, okay, well, I'll just give it because I have to. He preached about it. So there. Now, if that's your attitude, just keep it. Just go ahead and keep You probably never heard a pastor say that. Just keep it. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. This is his house, and he's going to build the house whether you participate or not. I'm just inviting you to be a part of the miracle. But if you, and by the way, of the 11 years this church has been in existence, I have not heard one person ever say, you know what? I regret being generous. Not one person has ever asked for their offering back. Never in 11 years. You know why? Because God is faithful. And if you trust him with every aspect of your life, you will see true that he is faithful. Anybody believe it today that the Lord is faithful?
First Peter 5 pivots and he stops talking about the elders and the leaders and he starts talking to the church. And the instructions given are this, that we are to submit to our spiritual authority. All right, First Thessalonians 5.12, listen to this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and they give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. <laughs> I'm convinced that he slid that last part on because he knew what it was like to pastor. Live peaceably, stop arguing. <laughs> That's funny, just to me, inside joke, I guess. All right, but... 1 Thessalonians, as well as 1 Peter 5, is saying this, have a spirit of cooperation, not criticism. Have a spirit of cooperation, not a critical spirit. You know, it's easy to criticize the church. Well, this is wrong, that's wrong. He wore that shirt, I don't like it. Uh, they sang that song. It's easy to criticize, but we're called to be cooperative and to work together. And by the way, a true leader and a true shepherd doesn't lord over, they love you. They serve you in humility. And so we should walk together in a spirit of cooperation. By the way, the thing you wanna complain about, the thing that you're so critical about, that's probably the, just exactly the area that God's calling you to serve. Oh, I'm preaching, I'm preaching. I'm doing, I'm doing a little dance right here. I'm just like, I'm that excited about it. You know, the thing you get in the parking lot and you complain about every single time, that thing that annoys you, it annoys you because that's, that's part of your calling. No, I'm serious. That's a whole sermon right there. So instead of complain about it, how about let's be about it? Let's make the church better, not get bitter. It's true. Somebody's like, I'm never coming back to this church. Verses five and six. Stay humble. Tell your neighbor, the one you've been ignoring, stay humble. In the King James Version, it says that we are to put on humility. Do you know why it tells you to put on humility? Because you don't have it on naturally. We're all born with a sinful nature. Do you know what pride and arrogance is? It's spiritual B.O. B.O. stands for body odor, in case you were wondering. Okay, because here's the thing about B.O. You stink and everybody knows it but you. Arrogance is the same way, you know what I mean? Like people walking in, like, oh, I'm so holy. No, no, you actually, you smell real bad. We all see it, but you just don't know it yet. So God resists the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Is this the word? The number one thing I look for in this church, I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how bad of a musician you are. I don't care if you can preach the paint off the wall. If you're not humble, I don't want you. Because you know why? Humility is the mark of a person who's been with Jesus. Oh, I'm gonna say it again. Humility is the mark of a person who's been in his presence. I'm gonna read you. I brought the Bible to back that up. For Isaiah chapter six, verse five. Listen to this. It's magnificent. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Isaiah writes this in the sixth chapter. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple with his glory. And I realized I was a man of an unclean lips and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. In other words, he's saying, when I came into the presence of my master and I beheld his glory, his splendor and majesty. It revealed to me just how broken and how in need I am. You don't leave God's presence going, you know what? I'm the man. Nope. You leave God's presence saying, who am I that you would even be mindful of me? Great is your faithfulness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Another example of this is in Luke chapter five, verse eight. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me for I am a sinful man. Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, is Peter's invitation to the ministry. Jesus showed up on the shore. He'd been fishing all night and came up empty. Jesus said, throw your net out there one more time on the other side. And Peter's like, okay, I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter, but nevertheless, your will be done. He throws the net one more time and it comes up bursting at the seams and they had to call another ship just to manage the miracle that God had provided. And then Peter fell at his feet and said, leave me, I'm unworthy to even be in your presence. People who have been in the presence of the master are humble. They know how great he is and how in need they are. May we humble ourselves that God would exalt us. One more story very quickly. One of my favorite passages, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel, the high priest, is coming to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Jesse is all excited, and he lines up his seven sons in front of the high priest. The seven sons start to vie for position, I'm sure they're like pushing each other. They're like standing on their tippy toes, you know, broad shoulders. They're vying for position. They're exalting themselves because they want to be anointed the next king. And as Samuel walks in, he immediately in his flesh looks at the tallest one with the jawline and he's like, yep, that one. And the Lord rebukes him. The Lord says, Samuel, I don't see men the way you see them. You look at their exterior, but I look at their heart. And listen to this. Samuel says to Jesse, is this all of your sons? And then Samuel's, or Jesse's like, oh man, you know what? I got one more. I still am like, Jesse, how did you forget you had eight sons? You got seven up in here and you forgot one? That one that he had overlooked and forgotten was David. And though People may have overlooked you. God has not. And while the seven brothers exalted themselves, vying for the throne, David humbled himself in the wilderness, tending to his father's sheep. And the seven that exalted themselves were humbled. But the one who was faithful and humble God Almighty exalted him. There's a lesson here. Are you chasing the promotion? Are you chasing the throne? Are you chasing 
the next best thing or are you faithful and humble, trusting God with the little he's given you, being faithful where you are? Because if you'll be humble and you'll be faithful, God himself will exalt you in his time. Say in his time. You know, his time is not yours. You know when God's time is? When you can handle it. Because if God gave you his plan right now, it might ruin you. You couldn't handle it. But one sign that David truly was ready to be anointed king, watch this. Immediately after being anointed king, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel that immediately after, he went right back out into the wilderness and cared for the sheep yet again. Now look, if that had been some of us, we'd have been like, now dad, I love you, but I don't know if you heard him, I'm the king. I ain't going back out to the sheep now. See, because you couldn't handle it. If serving is beneath you, leading is beyond you. If you're willing to be nothing, God will make something great of you. In closing, 1 Peter 5, 7, give all of your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Tell your neighbor he cares for you. Some translations say, cast your anxiety on the Lord. It doesn't say lay your worries at his feet. It says cast them. That's a verb, an action verb. It is aggressive. May I throw my anxieties, my cares, my worries. May I aggressively throw them off of my life and onto him. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. When was the last time you worried about something so long that it worked itself out? When have you ever heard a testimony of somebody who said, you know what, thank God I've worried for seven years because if I hadn't been worrying, it wouldn't have changed. Things you never hear people say. Worry can't add a single moment to your life. So worry about nothing, pray about everything. And this last part literally jumped off the page at me. For he cares for you. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but he cares for you. I don't know what you're walking through, what you're facing in your life, how insignificant or how monumental it might be. You need to hear today that he is a God who cares for you. He has the number of hair numbered on your head. He knows you better than you know yourself. He is the Lord of all the earth, yet he remains mindful of you and he is concerned about the affairs of your life. You are not a face in the crowd, a number on the earth. You, he knows you by name. He loves you and he cares for you. This distinguishes our faith from all the rest. Muslims can't say it. Buddhists can't say it. Nobody else, Hindus can't say it. Only Christians can claim we have a God who cares for us. And hey, he didn't wait for me to get my life right 
before he started caring. He didn't wait for me to get clean and get into church before he started loving me. No, while I was dead in my sin, lost in my trespasses, he was rich in mercy towards me and he loved me at my worst. He cared for me and he cares for you. I want you to pray with me now all over this room. Give your life to Christ. Trust in him today by faith. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we repent of our sin. We confess that our life has been marked by lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. God, have mercy on us. But today, we are thankful that 2,000 years ago, you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He performed the miraculous and he climbed up on Calvary's cross. And he who knew no sin became my sin on that cross that I might be called the righteousness of God through him. I believe that he suffered, died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. Change my heart, help me to love what you love and despise what you despise. Today, I give you my life, my past, my present and my future. Save me, redeem me and cover me in the blood of Jesus. Make me new today. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.